Tonight we're starting a new sermon series on revival, and as it says, positioning our hearts to pray for revival. Now this sermon series was birthed out of a lot of prayer. Um, we as a church has been really trusting the Lord to, for us to devote ourselves to prayer, not just for a year or two or three, but to make it a lifetime thing. So ever since 2019, we've really been pursuing the Lord in prayer, and we are still doing it. And in the process of devoting ourselves to prayer, um, I came across a few resources that I've been reading and applying in my life to specifically grow in prayer. And one day I saw a quote by a guy by the name of Mike Bickle, who's one of the directors of the International House of Prayer in America. And he studied revival extensively for not even a year or two. I think it's like a few decades. He literally devoted himself to reading up on revival, every single revival that is known to man, every single revivalist, and reading the autobiographies. And he made a statement that said that prayer for revival is not measured in weeks, months, or even years, but it's measured in decades. And when I read that, my heart literally like sank. I'm like, yo, a decade, that's very long. <laughs> I don't even know if I've ever stayed devoted to praying for something for, a, for like a year, what <laughs> a decade. So, but it started stirring something in my heart that there's something that the Lord is calling us to. And it is so glorious that it is worth our devotion. And a little bit later, I was again looking at one of the teachings of Mike Bickle. It's a, like a short series of short video clips where he speaks about growing in prayer. And the one day he was also speaking about revival. And he said that revival in essence is a restoration in relationship. And before that, I, I, didn't, I never really saw it that way. Um, I'm, I saw more like revival of the Holy Spirit coming and everybody getting healed and you know, all of the, that supernatural stuff, you know. And that is a part of revival, but all of that happens in the heart of restoring relationship. So as I was now praying into this thing of, you know, decades of praying for revival and now revival happening in the atmosphere of restored relationships, I really started praying into that. And that is from that prayer that this sermon series was almost like birthed. It feels like the word birthed is being used a lot tonight. Even the song being birthed from the Holy Spirit series. Anyhow, so tonight we, we are obviously starting it. And the, the goal behind the sermon series is, first of all, to make us aware that God is sending revival on the on the on the earth, and that we as his bride is called to partner with him in that. And one of the primary ways that we are partnering with him in that is through prayer. So we need to build certain things into our lives that will enable us to remain faithful in prayer and remain faithful in prayer for revival. So there's things that need to drop into our hearts. 
So tonight we are going to spend a little bit of time on the knowledge of God, and then for the next three weeks we are going to be specifically looking on our relationship with the Father, our relationship with Jesus, and our relationship with the Holy Spirit, and how the restoration in that relationship and what that part of the Godhead is calling us into, and how that flows out into a manifestation of revival. And uh, when we speak about the restoration of relationships, there's basically a restoration of relationships on four levels. And the first level is our relationship with God that is restored. And that's the primary one. And then there's three subcategories of that, which is our relationship with creation, our relationships with ourselves, and then our relationships with one another and human beings, the relationships between human beings. And revival will come and bring restoration to all of those aspects of relationship. And that is what we are praying into. That is what we want to see. So, um, what is revival? Now, that's... Uh, um, I don't necessarily even have like a sentence or something that I can summarize it in because I, it just feels too big. So, the way that I felt in my heart to define revival is to say, but revival is best explained through the ministry of Jesus. So if we read the New Testament and we see all of the things that was done by Jesus, that was said by Jesus, and we, that is what revival in a practical sense looks like. But then we also have this promise that we will do the same things that Jesus did and even greater things. So when we say we are, what revival is the ministry of Jesus, then we say that the revival that we are praying for is like the ministry of Jesus on steroids. Okay, but maybe, maybe not steroids, because steroids sometimes have a negative connotation. It's like, I know sometimes. But it's, it's like the ministry of Jesus, like times 10 or whatever, you know, just very big, very big, you know. Um, and when Jesus was in Nazareth on one day, he went into the temple and he started quoting Isaiah 61. And after he quoted Isaiah 61 and he said, today in your midst, this scripture has been fulfilled. So basically what Jesus said is that I summarize my ministry through the words of Isaiah 61. And we are going to be looking at Isaiah 61 in just a little while. And as I was praying through this revival, there were three main pieces of Scripture that really like jumped out, like this is what we are holding on to when we are looking at revival. And the first one was obviously Isaiah 61, which we're going to be looking at right now. The second one was Joel 2. And um, I, if you probably start... Reading up about revival, this is probably one of the first scriptures that, will, that you hear people speak about. It's that scripture that says that God will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. Now, obviously, Peter referred to that prophecy when, on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit first came. But that, what happened on Pentecost wasn't the complete fulfillment of that prophecy, prophecy. Because if you read the prophecy, there was a few things that the prophecy said would happen that did not happen on that day. 
So that means that what happened on Pentecost was almost like just a sneak peek of what the Lord is actually going to do. And so if we read then the history of the New Testament church or the, the church of Acts, now that was the, the, the prophecy of Joel that being fulfilled. But obviously we know we're now 2,000 years later and we have still not seen the end. So that means whatever is coming is going to be even greater than that which we read about in the book of Acts. It's the, Jesus, uh, the ministry of Jesus on steroids, okay, or very big, okay. And then the last piece of scripture we will also be looking about uh, um, at tonight is Isaiah 11. So I'm not going to major too much uh, on that. So if we, if we dive into Isaiah 61, um, this is a piece of scripture that um, I, yeah, I felt the Lord leading me into, like, I think it's almost like a year or two years ago. I lose track of time. Time flies when you're having fun. So, um, but this is a scripture that I, that I, because I've been praying into it so much that I actually know it by heart. And uh, I'm not saying that to boast. I'm just saying it that I've really, this is really uh, almost one of the scriptures that will be one of the spearheads as revival goes into the nations. And then it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And you know there's the saying that say a picture says a thousand words. Now instead of me like giving you a small sermon on Isaiah 61, my wife actually shared a very awesome video with me that, for me, shows Isaiah 61 in practice. So this is a, a, a video of a town in Guatemala where, that was struck by revival. And you will see that as we watch the video that what actually started happening in that town is almost exactly what this scripture speaks about. So, um, yeah, enjoy the video, and yeah, I'll, I'll be back after the video. Armolonga was an extremely poor village. This was a community in total poverty and alcohol addiction. Violence, ignorance, witchcraft, the occult, idol worshiping. Just 20 years ago, Almolonga was a dark and dangerous place suffered from poverty, violence, ignorance, and besides that, alcohol was the main problem. If you would go to Almolonga 20 years ago in the morning, 7 a.m., and walk the streets of Almolonga, you would have encountered many, many men just lying on the street because they were totally drunk. We had many jails because there were so many problems. Chief of Police Donato Santiago recalls that people were always fighting. Officials built four jails, but even they couldn't contain the problem. 
Overflow prisoners were routinely bused to a nearby city. Domestic violence was especially pronounced. During these dark days, the gospel did not fare well. Outside evangelists were commonly chased away with sticks or rocks, while small local house churches were also stoned. Evangelical Christians were a despised minority. On one occasion, six men shoved a gun barrel down Mariano's throat. As they began to pull the trigger, he silently petitioned the Lord for protection. When the hammer fell, nothing happened. Delivered from death, Pastor Riscaje called his small flock into prayer. It was time to break the stranglehold of violence, superstition, and poverty. As the intercessors lifted their petitions heavenward, they were filled with a supernatural faith. We told the Lord, it is not possible that we could be so insignificant when your word says we are heads and not tails. We kept fasting three or four days a week, and every Saturday we held a prayer vigil. And that was what I think opened the door. People started to be delivered, men started to be saved and come to church. It was a tremendous, tremendous blessing. A revival, I would call it. And then after uh, many signs and wonders started taking place and, and uh, a lot of mass deliverances from demonic oppression, um, churches started growing. Is it true today that when people pray the skies will break Kings and queens will shake Yes, it's true And I believe it 1994, the last of Alma Longa's four jails closed. The remodeled building is now called the Hall of Honor. For Police Chief Santiago, these are the good times. You don't have any jails in town now? No, nothing. Because you don't need them? No, because there's no people that, that do trouble. not like before. Even the town's agricultural base has come to life. For years, crop yields around Almalonga suffered from a combination of arid land and poor work habits. But as the people have turned to God, they have seen a remarkable transformation of their land. And Almolonga became a fertile valley. It is so fertile, that the land is so, so good. They produce the best vegetables. They get as many as three harvests per year. They sell their vegetables to Guatemala, south of Mexico and El Salvador. Before the spiritual turnaround, growers were exporting four truckloads of produce a month. Now they leave town 40 times a week. Nicknamed America's Vegetable Garden, Al Malonga's produce is of biblical proportions. You have to see them to believe. A bit is four and a half pounds. A carrot is this size. It is, it is just unbelievable. It... It's bigger than mine. God and is the gospel powerful enough to truly impact our community. Al Malonga teaches us yes. You had a community given to idolatry, witchcraft, alcoholism, disruptive families, and now 
you have a community transformed. And that's a good picture to us that yes, God can do it there and He can do it in my community. God has lifted us and we need to take advantage of this opportunity. We are a generation that God is going to use in the transformation, not only of our community, but the whole world. It is a beautiful spectacle to go and see the, the, the effect of the gospel, because you, you actually can see it. And that's what we want for our communities, for our cities and for our nations. You know, so I, I really believe that as we uh, stay steadfast in prayer for revival, that we will start seeing this happening in our midst as well. And uh, I would really like to have a carrot that speaks my hand. <laughs> Um, our dogs, they like to eat carrots. I don't think they'll be able to eat those carrots. They won't even be able to bite into them. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, so as, we are, as, as I was continue praying on this topic of revival, and uh, I just started to experience that there are certain things that the Lord wants to settle in my heart, and I'm quite confident He wants to settle it in in our hearts as a church. So I titled it The Things That We Need to Understand and Accept About God for Revival. And the first point says that God is sovereign and in control. And our humanness doesn't like that statement because we want to be in control. And we really need to get to a place where we are, when we embrace the fact that if we are going to form part of God's kingdom and God's revival, that we will not be in control of it. We will only merely be co-workers with Him in what He's going to be doing in the earth. Secondly, it's um, scripture that says God does what He pleases. And I know that that may be it can sound like a very harsh reality, especially if you, if you measure that up to maybe like in a dictator that just does what he pleases. He doesn't care about all of his subjects down here. He just wants to enrich himself. But the, the moment that we realize that God can actually be trusted, then that starts taking on a new dimension or a new atmosphere. But it is so. God does what He pleases, and He doesn't need our permission to do what He wants. He doesn't have to come and first ask us, um, Andre, are you okay with me um, doing this in the church? Do you give me your approval? He's, he's not going to do that. He's going to say, He's going to do that, and we are going to either go along with what He's doing, or we are not. So what flows from that is that it says that God doesn't need to explain himself to us. So whatever God does, good or bad, or not bad, whatever he does good, or whatever he allows bad, he doesn't need to explain that to us. And that is a reality that I also had to experience for a long time in my life where I had like chronic pain for almost like two years. And in that two years, I really asked the Lord, but why? Why must I go through this? And to this day, he's never given me an answer. But... Because I sought him in that season of my life, I can see how he used that season of my life for good. And that's exactly, if you take a look at the book of Job, Job asks a lot of questions. 
he didn't get any answers. The Lord just said, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? What he basically told him is, you don't know much. So you don't, you don't, you don't even asking the right questions because you know so little. So why don't you just put your focus on me instead of asking all of these questions which aren't actually so smart because you're asking it from a very human way of thinking. And then fourthly, it says that we will not understand everything. And, uh, yeah, that's something that's hard to make, to accept, because we want to understand. But if we can understand God, then that actually doesn't make him that great of a God. A God that I can understand fully, um, as C.S. Lewis says, is only a figment of my own imagination. So the mere fact that I can't understand God in my, in, my, in my humanity is just a bigger testament to the fact that He is beyond what I can dream up or imagine up, and that He is so much bigger than I could ever conceive. And then, out of this place of not understanding, we need to know that the Lord will always call us to faith and to dependence. So he will always arrange our circumstances in such a way that we need to have faith and then we need to be dependent on him. And that is something that I think a lot of people who pray for provision is like, Lord, can't you just give the provision for the rest of my life? And then I don't have to worry about this and I can just go. Um, and I don't know for a lot of people who have had the answer to that prayer. Um, he teaches us to remain dependent on Him. And as we learn that He is trustworthy, we then actually see, okay, oh, but it's actually not that bad being dependent on Him and having to constantly put our faith in Him because He is faithful. He remains true to His Word. So in revival, these are just, this is probably not the only things that we need to accept and embrace about God, um, but I do have a 30-minute time cap, so I can only go so long. You know, We need to go on to the rest of the things that I really feel we need to talk about. But this is just so important for us to, and if, if, if there's one of these statements that, that really tugs at our heart and you feel like, oh, I'm, I, I don't know if I, I like that statement. That is just an invitation for us to go and sit at the Lord's feet and to really speak to Him about it. Um, the Lord is very okay if we have a fight with Him face to face. What He's not okay with is we have a fight with Him, but we're speaking to Him or to other people about Him. So like we're gossiping about Him. He doesn't like that. But if we go to Him face to face, we can almost have any conversation with him because he invites us into that place. So he doesn't want us, if we have a problem with him, to go and discuss our problems with him with other people. He's like, no, come and discuss it with me and let us, let us work through this. Okay, so we need to out, learn how to complain correctly if some of these things tug at our hearts. Okay, so as, as I said, we're going into the knowledge of God tonight. And... It almost seems strange, like we're speaking about revival and our knowledge of God. So, if we go into Isaiah 11, you guys will actually now see where this whole thing of knowledge of God comes from. So, I'm going to be reading from Isaiah 11, verse 1 to 9. And it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, um, which was the father of David, um, 
and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And uh, we will be speaking a little bit on that portion of Scripture in week four when we're speaking on the Holy Spirit as well. But um, if you guys want to go read Revelation 4 and 5, it speaks a lot about the seven spirits of God being before God's throne and being sent out into all of the earth. And that was the spirit that was upon Jesus when he walked the earth and he did his earthly ministry. And it continues and it says, And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Now up until here, all of these things we can associate, that, associate with the ministry of Jesus while he was still on, on the earth. But now as we are going into the, now the next part, we are starting to read a weird stuff that we don't necessarily have seen on the earth up until now. Okay, so then it says, the, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Obviously, I don't, I don't see that uh, in a lot of places in the world. Um, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Uh, their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Okay, so it's vegan lions. Okay. Uh, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. Any of you parents out there? No, no takers. Okay, Jan, you're saying, uh-uh. Okay. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not destroy, or not, not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. So how many of you guys would agree that the last part that I've just now read refers to a reality that doesn't currently exist on earth? You would, I think we're unanimous about that. Okay, So that means that this reality is still coming. And that reality that is still coming is then summarized in the last part, which says, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And when we are praying for revival, we are praying for a reality that is still coming. So that means that this scripture actually shows to us that one of the things that will be part of the reality that is coming is the increase of the knowledge of God in the earth. But now the question is, what is the knowledge of God? Is it, do I now have to go and, like the Pharisees, know the entire Torah from the back of my head? Or is it, what, what, what does the knowledge of God refer to? Now, um, knowledge, of, knowledge obviously always starts off in our heads. Okay, this I don't think there's another way where knowledge can enter our beings. And that is why it's so important and so valuable to have to actually have a Bible. Okay, so if it if we didn't have a Bible, um we probably would not have known about the Old Testament or the New Testament or all the realities that is taken up in the Bible. 
So that means the Bible is a source of knowledge to us. But then we, in the New Testament, we get these people which they called the Pharisees, and they knew back then the Torah quite well. But they, when Jesus came, they didn't even recognize him as the Messiah. So clearly, all of their scriptural knowledge wasn't sufficient. So, and it's not that it was the knowledge that wasn't sufficient. It's what, where the knowledge was at or what where they were doing with that knowledge that made it insufficient. And what I started realizing is that, yes, we can have knowledge in our heads, but that knowledge then almost needs to go on a journey. And it's not a very far journey. It's almost like it's like a um, two-feet journey from my head to my heart. It's a very short journey. But just like the Israelites who had to take an 11-day journey through the desert and ended up making into 40 years, the journey from my head to my heart, even though it's only two feet, it's sometimes a very long journey. And we, we read about this in Psalm 95. So I said that when it comes to knowledge, it is head versus heart. And in our hearts is the place where we want this knowledge to end up. So... Psalm 95 speaks about the Israelites. And sometimes, in, and not sometimes, every time I read the story of the Israelites, I'm like, you guys are extremely dumb. You are so dumb. I don't know how you could make these stupid mistakes that you do. After everything you've seen, you make the golden calf. After everything you've seen, you want to go back to Egypt. You are dumb. That's, that's the way I feel. But then... And I feel that if I was an Israelite back then, I, I definitely would have made better decisions. <laughs> in my pride, in my arrogance, that's how I feel, yes. But then, all of a sudden, there's a challenging circumstance in my life, and then it's like this Israelite in me starts <laughs> manifesting itself. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they don't look that dumb. <laughs> so... Psalm 95 speaks of a certain event in the course of the Israelites' journey where they came to a certain place where there was no water. And this was now after they've seen the ten plagues, after they've seen the Red Sea being opened, they've seen the cloud by day and the fire by night. They've, I don't know if at that point they've started seeing the manna. Um, I must maybe go read it again, but they've definitely seen the other things that I, that I mentioned. So they've seen a lot. You know, they, and this is now what Psalm 95 says. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. So the Israelites who saw so much about God and then because of all that they see, knew a lot about God, every time they faced a new challenge, they acted in disbelief. And it says that in the scripture that they went astray in their hearts and they did not know his ways. 
So when we're speaking about the knowledge of God and we're speaking about praying for revival and knowing that we as human beings are extremely frail and extremely weak and David speaks about at the start of one of the Psalms, I can't remember which one, he says like, Lord, I'm poor and I'm very needy. Now, David actually was very rich. If you don't know, he, he, he was very rich, but still he called himself poor and very needy. Why? Because he knew that in himself, he did not have the capacity to live for God. And then apart from the empowerment of God in his life, that he would fail miserably every single time. So when I'm speaking now about the journey of knowledge from our heads to our hearts, I'm not standing up here saying, you know, I've done the journey and you guys must now get there. No, what I'm saying is that in every season of our lives, something in our lives will be challenged where we know something about God in our heads, but it's not here yet. And it will continue to happen. It will continue to happen. It will continue to happen. And in that time where this, our circumstances is now challenging this, this what we know about God, usually what we need to do is there's a step of faith that needs to be taken or and something that we need to obey about God even though we do not understand. And it's in that process of now starting to say, okay, Lord, I don't understand, but I will do. Lord, I will take that step of faith even though I don't see. And it's in that journey of placing our faith and placing our de dependency in God that that knowledge then starts going from our heads into our hearts. And then it starts making a new atmosphere in our hearts. And then it starts, it enables our hearts to see, see God in a new way. And as we see God in a new way, it gives us a fresh confidence in His character and in His ways and in His faithfulness, in His steadfastness and in His promises. So right where we are at now, um, I want us to take just a minute or two and reflect on What is that knowledge that you have in your heart, or in your head currently, that is being challenged, that needs to go the two-foot journey to our hearts? And just reflect on that for a short, or just one or two minutes, and then I will end off with the sermon. And really be honest with yourself. Okay. So seeing that this is a sermon on revival and specifically on prayer for revival. Um, we will be ending our sermons for the four weeks by us as a church praying for one another. Praying for individuals, but also praying for the church. And we will specifically be focusing on the apostolic prayers. So what we mean by the apostolic prayers is it's basically the prayers of the apostles that was written down in the New Testament. So there's, I think there's about 20 or 24 of them. Um, my numbers might be incorrect, but there's, there's definitely about 20. Or, yeah. 
Um, and we will be, what, because what we want to do is we want to give ourselves practical tools so that we can develop our prayer language for revival. So that you guys don't go out that door and saying, yes, Andre preached a very nice sermon, well done, sounds so smart, and then, then what, what then? You know, I, don't, I, I really don't actually care about sounding smart. It, it, my ego likes it when people sound, uh, sound smart, but you know, God doesn't like my ego that much. So, yeah, I should, I should learn not to like my ego that much as well. So that's not the goal. The goal for this is not so that we can say, well, good sermon. No, the goal for this is for us as a church, us as a faith community, to start building things into our lives and to develop that prayer language. Because a lot of times we do not know what to pray for. And if, I'm, if we are going to be praying for revival for decades, that's a lot of prayer. <laughs> you can't just pray the one thing over and over and over and over. You'll get very tired. So we need to trust the Lord to give us practical things that we can build into our lives. And the apostolic prayer that we are going to be praying tonight actually ties in with what we just did now. The knowledge of God that has to go from our heads to our hearts. So I'm going to be reading from Ephesians 1, verse 15 to 23. And it says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith, now this is Paul writing, your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So just by... Up until there, we know that Paul didn't just pray this prayer once because he says he didn't cease. So not ceasing is, yeah, it implies not stopping. So, yeah. so that means it's that thing of just going, praying it, praying it, praying it, praying it. Oh, it actually sounds so dumb if I just say it in different ways, but that's what it says. Okay, so what was he praying for the church? He says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. And then it says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, body the fullness of him who fills all in all. So basically what this prayer says, Lord, give us the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, the Father of glory. And may that spirit and that wisdom and revelation, that knowledge, open up the eyes of our hearts so that we can know the hope and the inheritance and the power that is in Jesus Christ. So, 
we are going to going to in a moment we are going to pray this prayer over one another and i want us to go into groups of two and if there's like an odd person there only should be one odd person so um most groups should be two and then one group of three if there's an odd person okay but before we do that um seeing that this is a sermon also about prayer that we really want to invite you during this next few weeks we will also be praying into the sermon series during the week and we have our dedicated prayer slot on wednesday mornings from six to seven and also on friday mornings six to seven the in-person one is not coming up yet it's only at the end of the month eh? yeah okay so come and join that come and join us in prayer we will be praying this week, coming week. We'll be praying into Isaiah 11, which we spoke about. And we really want to build and, not build, exercise our prayer muscle. And that is one of the ways that we do it, is by also praying together. So the links to the prayer is on ifl.online, where you, we get everything in church. Um, so come and join us for a time of prayer. And we will, even after the sermon series, we will continue to pray into this because this is our prayer focus for the foreseeable future. So make your groups of two and maybe share that one thing which you thought about now when we had our time of stillness and then pray for one another, but then also pray for the church because we as the church is the vessel that the Lord uses to spread his knowledge and the fragrance of his knowledge into all of the world. So we as church need to be empowered so that we can stand up in what the Lord is calling us towards. Okay. If you are still busy praying, you do not have to rush. Um, yeah, I do. Uh, we went over time, but it's okay. Um, uh, I'm thankful that we get to experience God. And I'm expecting just for the next couple of weeks. And, um, and I trust that God will come and stir something about His kingdom in your heart. So when we speak about revival, that there will be a desire for revival in your own life. But that God will also stir a hope and an expectation for revival in the world we live in. When we read Isaiah 11 and we see this supernatural transformation, that video that Andre played that I'm trusting for some of those things in this city. I'm trusting for some of those things in my own family members. I'm trusting for some of those things in our nation. Um, and may God come and stir an expectation in our hearts for revival. And I want to pose a challenge to us as a church that we will live with expectation. When you go to work, when you go to campus, I know that campus is almost closed. When you go to buy groceries, can there be an expectation for God to do something? When there's someone sick, can God stir an expectation for you to pray? Because maybe, just maybe, God today wants to heal someone through your faith and your obedience. I want you to be intentional towards those who do not know Christ. May we see lost people getting saved in these next couple of weeks. May you invite friends to church and may they hear the gospel and um, be transformed by the power of God's love for them. So Father, we, 
we come and echo the song that we sent, uh, sang earlier. Fill us up, send us out, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.